Hello, and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman shares a message titled, Your Renewal Project. And now, an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. A couple of months ago, we began a study through the book of Colossians. It's only four chapters long, and it can be divided evenly into two parts chapters 1 and 2 for the first part, chapters 3 and 4 for the second part. Chapters 1 and 2, Paul talks about theology. He talks about what to believe. And then in the last half of Colossians, he talks about how to behave. Now, those of you who have studied Paul's letters before, you know that this is kind of a pattern. In almost every letter that Paul wrote that we have in the New Testament, uh, he starts out talking about theology. He starts out talking about what to believe. Somewhere along the way though, and and it's just eerie how often it happens at the halfway point of his letter, you see the word, therefore. And from that point on, he talks about application. He says, if you believe these things that I've already talked about, here's how, therefore, here's how you ought to behave. Now this is what we find in the letter to the Colossians. The last several months, as we've looked at the first couple of chapters, he's told us what to believe. And now in chapter three, Uh, starting in verse 1 he says therefore and he moves on to tell us how we ought to behave because of these things now in these verses that we look at today he is going to talk about renewal renewal of your soul of your life several of you have been in renewal projects renovation projects before and you dream about a larger kitchen Uh, you dream about new fixtures you dream about a fresh coat of paint But you know that renovation doesn't just involve bringing in new things, it also involves tearing out old things. You don't just lay new carpet over old moldy carpet. You don't put up new sheetrock over uh, uh, two by fours that have black mold growing on it. You have to tear out the old stuff even as you're wanting to put in the new stuff. Well, what we find in these verses today, starting in Colossians chapter three is, Paul talks about the new you, but he also talks about the old you, the new you that needs to be brought in, and the old you that needs to be torn out. Uh, I think it's really important that we look at verses like this starting off in the new school year, because you know, no matter how long it's been since you went off to school, uh, something about the start of a new school year, seeing those school buses up and down the street, hearing the band practice, knowing, seeing so many uh, uh, first day of school pictures posted on your Facebook feed. Even if you, uh, it's been a long time since you yourself went off to school, uh, there's just something renewing about a new school year. Uh, my sister, uh, Nisha, put this on her Facebook feed some time back. She said, ah, the first day of a new school year. Nervousness, endless possibilities, excitement, new opportunities. Didn't sleep much last night. Setting goals, new spiral notebook and pens. Curious what's for lunch. But that's just me. I wonder how the kids are feeling. <laughs> Maybe you can identify with that feeling yourself. And so at the start of this new school year, Let's think about a renewal project, casting out the old, bringing in the new. In Colossians chapter 3, the first four verses are about the new you, and then the remaining verses to verse 11 are about the old you. So let's look first of all at the new you, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, he says, 
If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So in verses 1 through 4, Paul says, keep seeking the things above. So life in Christ is a seeking life. It is a pursuing life. It is pursuing a new you that you don't fully have in your possession at this point. Now I want you to note the nature of this seeking and the motivation for this seeking and the effort required in this seeking. So first of all, the nature of our pursuit, the nature of this seeking. Verse two is basically a restatement of verse one. So he says, keep seeking the things above. That's verse one. Then in verse two, he says, set your mind on the things above. So how do you seek? How do you pursue? By a mindset, by setting your mind on that which is above. Everything worth pursuing starts with a determination to pursue it. This is true in everything. It's true in athletics, especially the highest level of athletics. You've seen people in their favorite sports pursuits and before the guy goes on the ski run, before the golfer hits that shot off the tee box, you can see the wheels spinning in their minds as they're thinking through what they're getting ready to do, what they're about to put their body through. This is true not only in sports, it's true in academics, it's true in and and, uh, music, it's it's true in every endeavor worth pursuing. And it's also true when it comes to living the new you. You need to set your mind on that which is above. Now, when Paul speaks of what is above, he is not saying that we need to ignore the world around us. This isn't escapism on his part. He's not saying that we just need to be blissfully unaware of what's going on around us or the troubles that is going on in our lives and we just kind of need to mentally escape into what is above. What he's speaking about here specifically is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is above us at this point. The book of Revelation tells us it's going to come down out of heaven as a bride dressed for uh, her husband. But the kingdom of God at present is above. So we need to keep seeking the kingdom which is above. The kingdom is God's rules. The kingdom is God's expectations. The kingdom is, is uh, what God wants for your life. You and I, the Bible says, you and I are citizens of that kingdom. We might hold a passport uh, to the United States or a passport of our citizenship in some other nation, but we are citizens ultimately of the kingdom of God. And so what we need to do is make sure that we are setting our minds on the kingdom. Now, that's the nature of this quest. What is the motivation of this seeking? Very simply, Christ. Christ. Christ behind you, Christ around you, Christ ahead of you, in your past, in your present, in your future. Your entire life is completely enveloped by Christ. That's what these verses tell us. Look, first of all, verse 1 speaks of your past. You have been raised up with Christ. That's a, that's a past tense verb. You have been raised up with Christ. The Bible often tells us that believers are in this mystical but very real union with Jesus. We've talked about this in the earlier verses and the earlier chapters of Colossians as we've been studying through Colossians. And Paul elaborated on the fact that when you united to Christ, you were mystically united 
to a Jesus who died, was buried, and rose again. And so in a very real sense, that's your history. You have already died. You have already been buried. You already being, have been raised up to a new way of life. Baptism, as we saw a few weeks ago, baptism is a symbol, is a picture of what has taken place in your life, being united to that kind of Christ. So he speaks of that which has already taken place. Your, the, the, the glorious resurrection of your body at the end of time, that is yet to come. But in one sense, it is, the resurrection has already taken place because you are united to a Christ who was raised. So verse 1 speaks of your past, and then verse 3 speaks of your presence. Look at the, the, the tense of the verb here. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. So he, he spoke in the past tense, you, you have been raised with Christ. And now he speaks in the present tense, your life is hidden with Christ and God. Now what does it mean to be hidden? In, in one sense, what that means is that who you really are is not obvious to the outside world right now. You are gloriously raised with Christ. You are God's own. You are a kingdom citizen. The people around you in the world who do not n notice that about you, they don't see that. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. But in another sense, what this word hidden means is this your life is protected by God. You know, your jewelry, your valuables at the house are probably not just sort of splayed out for anybody and everybody to find. If somebody were to break in while you were on vacation, you'd want to know that they wouldn't be able to find those things. So they are hidden away somewhere. In the same way, who you really are, your true identity as a child of God is tucked away. It is hidden. It is protected by God. All kinds of terrible things can happen to you on this earth, but who you really are is forever protected because you belong to God who is protecting it. So past, present, and then verse 4 speaks of the future. When Christ is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So you notice the, the, the transition of the verbs here. He speaks in the past tense. Your life is already um, uh, raised with Christ. Now your life is hidden with Christ. And now your life will be revealed in glory with Christ. Now anytime the Bible, anytime the New Testament speaks of Christ being revealed, it's speaking about his second coming. When every eye shall see him and, and, and every tongue confess and every knee bow before him, he will be revealed for who he really is at that time at his second coming. That's why the last book of the Bible is called the Revelation, singular, not revelations, plural. I think one reason people call it revelations is they assume it's a series of visions about the future, revelations, plural. But the revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book of the, of the New Testament is about that time that Christ will be singularly revealed to all the world as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So it is the revelation of Christ. And this verse says that when he is revealed, you will be revealed in all the glory that will be yours at that time. So you think of this, our past and our present and our future is completely wrapped up with Christ. What we've been, what we are, what we're going to be, it's all defined by Christ who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And because of that, then, that gives us great motivation, then, to pursue, to keep seeking that which is above the kingdom of that Christ. So he talks about the nature of our pursuit. He talks about the motivation for our pursuit. And then he talks about the effort required in our pursuit. 
The nature of our pursuit, it involves setting our minds on things above. The motivation, knowing that Christ has done so much for our past, our present, and our future. And now the effort. Circle the word keep. Keep seeking. This isn't something you do once and then move on to other things. This isn't something you do when you first commit to Christ and then you can sort of graduate to other levels of Christianity. You have to keep on pursuing, keep on seeking, keep on driving toward becoming more and more the you that Christ wants you to be. You have to wake up thinking about the kingdom. You have to pause numerous times during the day and ask yourself, am I the kind of kingdom citizen that Christ wants me to be? You have to study the life of Christ because you are to be imitators of him. You're to get together with other people who love Jesus like you're trying to love Jesus so you can motivate each other to do the things that we ought to do. Keep seeking the things that are above. But as I mentioned, when there is a renewal project, a renovation project going on at your house, it doesn't just involve bringing in new appliances, you have to drag out the old appliances. It doesn't involve just laying down new carpet, you have to drag out the old moldy carpet first before you can lay down the new carpet. And in the same way in these verses, it's not just about bringing in the new you, you have to do something about the old you. According to the Bible, the old you is dying, but it's not yet dead. And it still has this tremendous influence and impact upon our lives, our choices, our decisions. And so Paul says, even as you're pursuing the new you, you need to be putting to death the old you. Take a look at verses 5 through 11. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So as we set our mind on the high calling of the kingdom, we quickly identify things in our lives that don't belong to kingdom citizens. Things that really don't belong in the glorious gates of the kingdom. And we, we recognize these things, we identify these things, and we repent of them and we take them out of our lives, just as you would do with a renovation project. You take stuff out that you don't want anymore. Now in verses 5 through 11, Paul makes two lists of five ugly things each. The first list has five ugly things. The second list has five ugly things. These are things of the old you that need to be taken out. The first list involves sins of broken desires. The second list involves sins of broken relationships. So let's look at the first list, sins of broken desires. In your sermon notes or in your Bible, underline these sins in verse five, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. Now these five things reveal strong passions, strong desires. And because of this, some people mistakenly believe that the goal of the Christian life is to eliminate desire. That is not the goal of the Christian life. That's the goal of the Buddhist life. It's the goal of Stoicism, which is kind of making a revival these days. Some of you have 
been influenced by certain people who've been influenced by Stoicism. The goal of Stoicism and Buddhism is the removal of passions. The goal of the Christian life is the redirection of passion, not the elimination of it. The, direct, the redirecting of passion away from wrong things, but to be passionate about the right things. In this instance, though, he says, you've been passionate about certain things that are wrong, and he lists them off. Now, I want you to notice, of these five things, four of them have to do with sex, but not all of them. Four of them, the first four, have to do with sexual desire. Now, when, when, when Paul first brought the gospel to the Greek and Roman culture, he had to deal with a lot of mixed up understandings about sexuality that he didn't really need to deal with as uh, somebody who was planning to be a rabbi in the Jewish culture. That doesn't mean that there's no sexual sin in Jewish culture, it just means that there was a whole new level of sexual sin when he started introducing Christianity to the Greek and Roman world. And, uh, and so Paul had to go through what you could call sexual discipleship, helping people understand that there are implications to your sexuality to following Christ. Now, 2,000 years later, aren't you glad that we're past all that? <laughs> we're not past all that at all, are we? You know, in my uh, decades of being a pastor, from time to time I'll have somebody say, oh, if we could only have lived in the times of the Apostle Paul. If we could only have lived in the times of hearing Paul and the apostles directly saying all of these things, wouldn't it be wonderful? Well, guess what? You got your wish. We're living in the days of the New Testament. We're living in the days where we have to patiently explain to people who come to Christ that here's how to understand your life sexually now. Following Jesus has implications for what you do with your money, what you do with your relationships, what you do with your sexuality, all of it. And the Apostle Paul had to lay all of this out patiently, relentlessly, as he was communicating things to people. But I want you to look at this list again. And you'll notice that sexual passion isn't the only broken desire that Paul talks about here. He also lists the Greek word pleonexia. That sounds like a medical condition, right? You go to the doctor and you come back and your friend says, what does the doctor say you have? I have pleonexia. Oh, how much longer do you have to live? You know? Pleonexia is a condition, but it's not a physical condition. It's a psychological condition. You could define the Greek word pleonexia as the desire to have more. More space. More electronic devices. More Instagrammable vacations. More streaming services. Pleonexia. So the Apostle Paul says, pay attention to your desires. Now, it's interesting, this is an over, oversimplification, but it's interesting that of the two great ways of understanding things in our culture, being conservative or being progressive, if you are conservative, you tend to think of these sins of broken sexual desires. You don't tend to worry too much about materialism, about greed. That's an oversimplification, but that tends to be the case. We tend to focus on what's wrong with our culture sexually, not what's wrong with our culture in terms of materialism and greed. On the other hand, if you are progressive, you're all about corporate greed, you're all about protesting materialism and what it's done to our environment and so on. But you know, sexual sins, that's passe. It's a little embarrassing to talk about sexual sin. That's what you know the yahoos out in the country do, but not us sophisticated people. 
But according to this passage of scripture, we need to move beyond simple conservatism and progressivism, and we need to follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells us we need to pay attention to sexual sins and get rid of them. We need to pay attention to sins of materialism and greed and get rid of them as well. So he lists off these sins of improper desires. And then he lists off sins of broken relationships. That's the next list of five. Look at this. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. Now I want you to give some thought to those ugly words because it may lead to repentance. The word anger refers to a settled feeling of hatred. Wrath is a reference to the ugly outbursts, both verbal and physical. Malice speaks of that vicious inner nature that provokes you to do harm to somebody else verbally. Slander is the act of harming another person's character or reputation with false claims or half-truths. Few of us feel that we are slanderous people. We can see slander when it's done against us. We cannot hear it when it's coming out of our mouth. But when we communicate half-truths, when we communicate only a portion of the truth that's meant to damage somebody else's reputation, we are slanderous people. Abusive speech, that's the whole use of language to bring down instead of build up. And he even says here, you used to do this to each other, he said, but now you don't do it anymore, you shouldn't do it anymore because that's the old self. So he lists off these sins of broken relationships. Do we need to review this list from time to time? Of course we do. As I've told you before, I've just never seen a culture so relationally toxic as the culture that we're in right now. All these sins of broken relationships show up on social media, show up on podcasts, show up on our favorite radio talk, uh, talk show hosts and so on. And we are being discipled by listening regularly, steadily to this diet of people who are so busy tearing other people down. Now here's the interesting thing though, the Apostle Paul certainly wanted us to make sure we were being the new person in relation to how we relate to people outside the church. But in this instance, he particularly wanted us to pay attention to how we relate to each other inside the church. Our relationship with each other as kingdom citizens is more important, should be more important to us than our relationship to each other in terms of our nationality, our race, our political party, uh, who we are gonna pull for for football this season or whatever it is. Our relationship to each other as kingdom citizens is more important than anything else. So let's make sure these broken relationships that he lists off here are completely out of our lives. God wants you on a renewal project. And that involves bringing in the new, but it also involves removing the old. But now before we close, there's one more thing I want you to notice about this passage. Because if you don't catch this, you're not going to be successful in your renewal project. If you roll up your sleeves and decide, you know what, I need to bring in the new me. I need to cast out the old me. That's great, but you're not going to be successful unless you understand this. It's a group project. I don't think you have really been able to catch this, but when Paul said you, the you is plural here. When he said you need to pursue the things that are above, you could translate it in proper Southern English, y'all. Y'all need to pursue the things above. Y'all need to put to death the deeds of the old man. Y'all need to do this. And what this means is that what you're doing today, gathering with the people of God, is such an important part of your renewal project. 
I know that when you hear us pastors talk about bringing new people to church and coming more regularly yourself, you think that really it's just an attendance campaign. I mean, anytime we have some sort of high attendance day, anytime we schedule something that's designed to boost more people coming to our church, I'm always going to get at least one person that says, there you go, always talking about numbers. But that's not the reason that we pastors do this. We pastors emphasize the importance of people getting together and getting together more regularly because we actually have read our Bibles and we know that it's a y'all project. It's a group project. And, and in order for you to put off the old person and take on the new person, it's going to involve brothers and sisters in Christ around you. And so I encourage you to come more regularly to church. I encourage you to get involved in a small group Bible study. We call them life groups here, and they meet immediately after the worship service. And hang around for that. Get involved in one. Get reactivated in one. Not so we can win some attendance campaign, but because you need to be on a renewal project. And you can't win at this renewal project if you're not doing it with other brothers and sisters in Christ. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a message titled Partners in the King's Work. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest to Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.